Welcome back to Everything EOS, the longest running EOS podcast going back to March 2018. This is episode 130, and I'm here with two of the biggest legends within EOS IO. We are recording this on June 14th, and exactly two years ago was the day that the EOS mainnet was unlocked. I guess we'll start this off with a little bit of a toast and a cheers to EOS, and then we'll uh, get into this. Um, my guest today, it's Saeed Jaffrey, uh, CEO of EOS Cafe, the block producer you produce on EOS, Wax, Talos, Boast. I have Lynx Chain listed here too. I don't even know if that's still a chain. Uh, obviously, the maker of Blocks.io, uh, also DSP Portal on Blocks.io, the, the Block Explorer, uh, DSP on the DAP network. And most importantly for this conversation today, the winner of the $200,000 Block One EOS IO Challenge Bounty. And my other guest is no slouch either. It's Tao Muscal, the CTO of Liquid Apps, uh, makers of the DAP network, over 20 years experience as a software developer and entrepreneur, open source OG. Tao, why don't you introduce yourself first? Let everyone know what your background is, what your role is within EOSIO, uh, and we'll just start there. Sure. I'm uh, Tao Muscal. I'm the CTO of Liquid Apps. I entered the world of blockchain through uh, my friends at Bancor, um, and I've been uh, a very active developer um, in the EOS IO community, uh, especially around developer tools, de development tools, and um, and in all, all kinds of uh, useful services as part of the DAP network. Um, what else? I think you're selling yourself short. I, I mentioned it in the intro. You're an open source <laughs> OG, man. You were part, I, I, we've had these talks before. You were part of the open source movement before it was cool, before blockchain, uh, from like the early 2000s and on. Um, all right. So, Said, why, why don't you introduce yourself? Let everyone know what your background is, what attracted you to EOSIO. Yeah. So, um, Said here. Uh, I've been um, I've been in this space for um, oh four years now almost. Um, I was initially attracted to uh, Ethereum, um, especially sorry, I'm sorry, um, especially the uh, the NFT space. I was uh, quite interested in uh, how uh, CryptoKitties were working, how they were creating these non fungible tokens, and then finally. They moved on to actually creating a whole standard for that. I was I was working on a few smaller projects in Ethereum, but nothing that really um, went big. the 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 real problem was obviously the the fees, the the performance. And um, while while developing on Ethereum, I actually uh, heard about EOS and. Um, I moved uh, into looking into EOS. I was looking into how it was uh, getting these crazy performance numbers. And um, in early, early 2018, I started developing on EOS. And uh, as since then, we've, uh, we've run um, validator nodes for dozens of uh, EOS IO chains, um, created the most popular Block Explorer, Blocks.io, um, and yeah, as, as that uh, mentioned, now um, 
also uh, completed the uh, EOSIO Smart Contract Challenge that went out in February this year. Yeah, so I, I guess I'll take the opportunity to introduce that. So uh, back on February 3rd, earlier this year, uh, Block One announced uh, an interoperability challenge. They called it the EOSIO Challenge. They put out a $200,000 bounty for, uh, it, it was a year-long contest. So it was meant to take a year for someone to build this. And this guy here, Saeed, within three weeks, uh, was able to run all of Ethereum uh, within a single EOSIO smart contract. So as part of the challenge, uh, it says participants must create an EOSIO smart contract which can store and invoke EVM or Ethereum virtual machine or Solidity smart contracts in a virtual Ethereum-like environment. The challenge enables developers in the EOSIO, Ethereum, and wider blockchain communities to use their preferred development platforms while leveraging the benefits of EOSIO. For example, EOSIO can process smart contracts faster, reducing the impact of a significant roadblock for developers. So that was like the TLDR on the challenge. I'm sure it went much deeper than that. But what was your response when you first saw the challenge? Did you know immediately that you were going to go after it or did it take you day or two of pondering yeah so i mean it's a it's a concept that um i've thought about before one of my good friends actually we were introduced to eosa nearly the same time uh, mason um he had he had actually been quite um almost like a year or two ago um he was pondering about this idea but it never went anywhere because it, it's quite a complex project of how to um run solidity code inside EOS. And uh, to be honest, I'm not even sure if it would be really feasible a year or two ago uh, when EOS came out. But um, for those who might not know, first of all, I'd like to start off with what, what a virtual machine is itself, right? Um, a virtual machine um, is almost like a sandbox where you can run um, most of the time arbitrary code, any code. Um, in, in the context of blockchains, virtual machine is where the code that developers create runs. So any code that you write on EOSIO, when, um, when the validators are running it, they run your code inside a virtual machine. And this virtual machine will take, take the results and give it back to the user or the developer and also store any changes in the state that happen. But the... One of the issues is that virtual machines on every single blockchain are pretty siloed. I mean, different blockchains have their own languages that compile down into code that only their virtual machine can run. Um, so in EOS, that's C++ code that compiles down to WASM, and the WASM is uh, run, WASM stands for WebAssembly. So that WebAssembly code essentially uh, runs inside the virtual machine. On Ethereum, it's uh, Solidity or Yule, and um, now they're moving towards Wasm as well. Um, but these two virtual machines are not compatible. Think of it like Windows and Mac OS. Um, so the same, the same idea applies. If you want to run um, a Windows game on your Mac, what do you do? You download something like... Um, VMware or Wine or something, which uh, runs that Windows code inside a virtual machine. Um, so 
this challenge was essentially creating something like uh, VMware or Wine for blockchain where you're running um, Solidity or any um, Ethereum code in EOSIO. Uh, so that's where it involves the interoperability and uh, using of programs that are written in different languages inside EOSIO. I say to explain, if I already had a contract that I wrote for Ethereum completely working, that I could plug it into this EVM and run it without any code modifications on EOSIO. Right. Um, right. But, but there's, I, I see some limitations to this. I think the biggest one is that like not being able to bring like the liquidity with you, for example. Um, but before we get into like some of the limitations with the solution, let's, let's get into what is now possible because of the solution. Like with the solution, um, besides being able to migrate a contract, which is huge, without any code modifications, what else, uh, what other doors does this open up? I, th I think, as you said, one of the biggest issues is, is obviously um, liquidity, but it doesn't necessarily need to. I think, I think, I think the, ch the challenge itself has, has nothing to do with liquidity, obviously. It's... Uh, it's more about opening up the technical limitations and um, easier interoperability. But with that comes actually an easier ability to, to move liquidity between chains, um, especially if you're, if you're working with the largest smart contract chains, which are EOS and Ethereum. Um, so if you want to bring the liquidity over, it, it, might, it might end up being easier for you as well because you, you're running the same code on both chains, and now you simply add in a bridge between the two codes that you're running. Um, instead of having to code up a whole new C++ smart contract, and then trying to connect that, that C++ smart contract to your Ethereum contract, and um, it also, it, that would also in, increase the attack scope and this, uh, the security is just much harder when you're coding in multiple different languages trying to meet the same targets. Um, and uh, a lot of teams probably don't even have the resources to be maintaining multiple different versions of their contract. So this would simplify all of that. And in my opinion, it would uh, make it much easier to move liquidity between chains, uh, namely Ethereum and EOS. I have a couple of, like, couple of technical questions that are related to, to like a part of the interoperability is the environment and the ecosystem that you run in, right? It's not just the language, it's kind of the external interface to, to other contracts and, and to other things. So I, I imagine, um, like broadly speaking, I, I imagine that if you want to port your applications your application or your DAC to Ethereum, uh, and you want to bring, and you want, you don't want to touch it, and you want to bring it as is. You probably want to bring your your ERC twenty token as is. Otherwise, you kind of need to kind of breach that that kind of uh, you know notification or interception of the transfers and, and things like that. Right. I mean, one one of the things that I think is um, uh, is not covered by the challenge yet, but um, it it is something I talked about in my submission, is um, 
we, we need to add in a way to move. So th there's ways, obviously, to move transfers into the EVM. I mean, you can transfer, let's say, is deployed on EOS. You can transfer EOS in. And then that EOS is movable inside the Ethereum virtual machine on EOS, so EOSIO.EVM. Um, and all the Ethereum contracts can interact with that EOS um, as they would any balance, such as Ethereum. But the, the one thing that wasn't in the technical specification that, that could be easily added uh, as required um, would be taking that balance out. And um, there's, there's different ways you can do that. It could, it could be an EOS action, or it could actually just be, it could be like an Ethereum opcode um, where uh, people build that into their Ethereum contract to withdraw to an EOS address. Um, and that would all be done uh, quite seamlessly through the EVM contract. But yes. uh, it, it is something that I'm more interested in seeing, how, how it's required, how people want to use it. Um, but it's, it's definitely possible to, to, um, to withdraw the tokens out to, an, to an, another EOS address. But the, the formal specification of the challenge was essentially to emulate nearly perfectly the entire um, Ethereum virtual machine and the, the way Ethereum processes transactions and processes code. Uh, and obviously, transferring out to an EOS address isn't currently part of it. Um, so I'm excited to see what people wish to see and how they wish to use it. And I think, I think the EVM will evolve um, according to those needs. Cool. What about like uh, the integration between uh, EVM-based contracts, like internally inside inside the EVM? Is it like the same kind of integration that, that you do with a group of contracts in, in Ethereum or right. so so the EVM is near is essentially an identical copy of the entire if the way Ethereum works. Um, the only main technical difference I can think of is uh, we use a key value store instead of using a Patricia Mer uh, Merkle tree. Um, because recomputing that tree inside of um, inside of an already virtual machine like EOS, and then storing that whole ver uh, Patricia Merkle tree. Although I think some some uh, Pat Patricia Merkle trees are already stored as key value pairs, but it's it would still slow it down. So we directly store it as a as key value. But other than that, everything works the same. I mean, we're we're passing we're passing all the Ethereum tests um, that are. Uh, possible that are not like using um, tons and tons of memory, which wouldn't be possible, obviously. But um, other than that, we're passing the thousands of Ethereum tests that they use for their protocol consensus. Um, so essentially, any and anything anything that you can do in an Ethereum contract, you can do in EOSIO.EVM. There's no, there's no real limitations. Um, with, so with, with one notable exception would probably be like some of the heavier zero knowledge proofs, um, which still need more optimization. 
but uh, that that's simply it's not a it's not a matter of that it won't run. It's it's just that it takes too much time to run for the really complex zero knowledge proof uh, circuits at this point. Cool. And what about things like um, like um, failed failed transactions? Like, right. Ethereum. That was that was actually the hardest. I would say the hardest thing to do inside that EOS because for those who might not know, the the way EOS works is if you have any error inside EOS, um, it will fail. It will completely fail. But Ethereum doesn't work like that. Ethereum has different stages in a way of the contract. So if if the transaction fails immediately in Ethereum, it will get discarded. But um, if it if it if it doesn't fail immediately, the first thing it does is actually charge you for um, is yes. charge you for gas, um, and and most most importantly, it doesn't charge you for gas immediately. It it increases the nonce of your account. Um, even if the whole transaction fails, it will increase the nonce and then eventually also charge you the gas, even if the transaction fails. Um, so, and the 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 other challenging part is. In, in EOSIO, there's no try-catch. You can't just wrap the whole thing in an error handler. You can't just catch all the errors. Um, so, so you're disallowed from using errors whatsoever. Exactly. So actually, in our code, past the, um, after, after we increment the nonce, um, we're not allowed to use uh, EOSIO check, which is the assert um, mechanism. We simply can't use that. So we had to... Um, I, uh, we had to adopt more of the, the Google way of writing C++ where they, they don't, Google doesn't actually use any try catches in most of their code. Um, the way they do it is by returning like status codes or uh, errors from every function uh, if anything goes wrong and then um, handle those. So that, that's what we do. Uh, we, we don't, there's no um, there's no way to throw an error um, inside the contract. Um, and you know, you know, it's the same, you know it's the same in the kernel code. Kernel code also doesn't have a try-catch box for, uh, for almost the same reasons. Yeah. Oh, what do you mean by internal code, sorry? Kernel, like... Oh, kernel code, sorry. Kernel? I heard internal code. Well, <laughs> yeah. also, also don't have try-catch. Yeah. What is uh, this try catch, and what implications does it have to not have it? Right. So try catch is a way essentially um, you wrap your code with any code. It's in multiple different languages. It tries the code that you put in the try part of it, and then if there's an error, then it moves on to the catch part of it. It's it's a way to catch errors. So it's like um, an if else type thing, and just. Um. Yes, in in a way, like if you do if else, like if the if part of the code would be if it's if there's no error, keep executing. But if, mm -hmm. it, if there's ever an error, then it moves to the else part. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I mean that would be really useful, obviously, for our EVM too, if it was available. But but Wasm itself doesn't really have stable uh, error handling um, at the moment. It's in more like a proposal state and implementation state. Um, but that is definitely it was uh, it, it was definitely a big challenge because if you want to 
if you want to emulate the way Ethereum works, um, you have to do that because otherwise um, your knots wouldn't increment properly uh, when putting in transactions and it wouldn't work the way that Ethereum developers are used to. Um, and I actually think some of the solutions from what I looked, some of the other submissions, were not able to do that. Um, uh, and also we're missing, um, we're, we're missing rollbacks. That, that, that was another big challenge in uh, doing, um, in doing so this. Before you, before you go into rollbacks, so, so let me, let me uh, see if I, if I understand you correctly. So if you're running a transaction in the EVM, unlike EOS transaction, it would actually be written to the chain. Even um, if it's like a failed EVM transaction, just so you can progress the nodes. Right, right. It would, it would, it would always be written at least the, the fact that you submitted the transaction. Um, the, and if it failed, if it fails, then just the nonce would be increased for your account. And um, yeah, I think that, that would be it. If the trans, if the trans, if the outer level transaction fails, then only the nonce would be increased for the account. But it would still be saved, unlike EOS is. Right, and and what complicates the entire challenge is that when you when you write uh, an actual transaction to the chain, all the changes in the state comes comes with it. So. So you can't rely on the rollback, on the inherent rollback that, that yes. the producer gives you. You need to roll back all the changes yourself. You need to manage all the, the changes yourself and then roll them back efficiently. Yeah, so, so I mean, to, to go a little deeper into that, the way, the way EOS works is, let's say you put a transaction in, in the middle of the transaction, it increases the number of apples you have by one right if there's an error later in the code the whole thing gets reverted back you don't have one new apple anymore it goes back to how how the chain looked like at the start of your transaction and as um, a developer you don't you don't need to explicitly say anything you don't need to handle that actually right and um the, it's quite it's quite nice it works it works automatically on eos um and the, it's the same thing with if you're if you run a transaction which once again i'm going to continue with this fruit example but you're incrementing uh you're incrementing the number of apples somebody owns and then in a child action you're incremented how many pairs they own um if there's an error in incrementing pairs everything gets rolled back automatically you, your uh, plus one apples also gets rolled back. Um, but in Ethereum, it's, it's not necessarily like that. It's, it's very possible for you to increment your number of apples, but if your pair transaction fails, that's all that fails. The, the apples still get incremented. Um, so we have to essentially code a, um, a completely new ro a rollback mechanism um to handle this we couldn't rely on the native eos rollbacks um and um that, that rollback system can handle uh child rollbacks so the actions or parts of a transaction can roll back while the whole transaction doesn't which is not possible with eos right now but it is possible in eosio.evm um 
so those were the two biggest challenges I would say were um, especially the um, rollbacks and the handling transaction failures. So, so essentially, you had to develop your own transactional transactional memory mechanism, like um, right. the nested. The, and another thing that's uh, um, what about reentrancy? Like it works the same way in terms of invoking. Right. Yes, reentrancy re reentrancy works the same way. Okay. Um, I mean, once again, I, I feel like it's, it's, it's good to explain these concepts. So re-entrancy um, for developers who might be new to EOS uh, uh, coming from Ethereum, you would be familiar with re-entrancy, which is um, when your contract calls another contract, um, that, ha that executes immediately. So your contract code stops running, and now that other contract starts running immediately. But that other contract could, in theory, call your contract back with another action or uh, another transaction, and that would be a re-entrancy because now they're re-entering your code, and this has actually caused a lot of hacks, a lot of security issues in Ethereum, and now they explicitly try to guard it uh, with um, recommended uh, coding tips and ways to code. Uh, but EOS is different. The way EOS works is if you call another contract, it does not execute immediately. It executes after your current action is done uh, executing. So EOS by itself does not allow re-entrancy um, as, a, as a smart design choice, in my opinion. Um, but when since we're emulating the EVM completely here, um, the EVM does allow re-entrancy uh, just the same way as uh, Ethereum would. Cool. cool. That I agree with that, that uh, re-entrancy saves, uh, like avoiding re-entrancy saves a lot of uh, edge cases and security issues, but it's, the, the alternative of, of having dispatching your, <coughs> dispatching a, 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 an action only after the, your function finished is the thing that actually prohibits you from uh, returning a value from, from that. From that uh, action, and that's that's a kind of a limiting design choice in terms of how you can encapsulate logic in several smart contracts. Right. I mean, but but EOS has EOS has um, um, EOS obviously um, has work workarounds to that. I mean, you can't you can't return a value exactly as you said, um, which you can. Um, nicely enough in Ethereum, but uh, the the way in EOS usually works is like that action would would save to a table or uh, um, a state, and so when you when you call a contract uh, right after you call it, then you call uh, one of your own actions, um, and then it it would execute an order, obviously. So that other contract would execute, and then your other action would execute with checks. Um, how the state has changed. Um, so it's it's a more of a roundabout way of, uh, um, in a way, returning values. And I would agree that it's uh, it, it makes it a little harder to do that composability. But I think I think it's 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 quite worth the security. I mean, we've seen probably at this time um, 
10, over $10 million or more lost to re-entrancy bugs on Ethereum. Um, right. So I, I think it's a price worth paying. You know what I would do? I would probably add another um, another intrinsic or, or another uh, building block to the language and just enforcing some functions to not be able to to re-enter, just fail if they re if they re-enter. Just have the flexibility of allowing uh, other functions to call to call you and just kind of like protected in private in terms of uh, uh, you know function call accessibility, but but for that aspect specifically, and even have it uh, you know protected by default. Probably what I would do because. Composability, uh, having very easy composability is, is crucial. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's too opinionated to, to take it completely out of the language. That's if, if, you, if we're, uh, we discussed like the design choices uh, that we would do differently, that, that's, that's definitely something that, that I would do differently. You, you mentioned earlier that you can, you can dispatch a function and then based on the result of that function. If it fails, do different things. That's also part of composability, like error, error handling. And that's also uh, that, that queue-based, uh, you know, async dispatching is, uh, is, a bit, is a bit limiting. Right. Uh, but I agree, there, there are ways around it. But uh, if you're trying to attract people from, from you know, uh, uh, from, existing uh, communities and, and existing platforms I don't think they, they like the, the there are workarounds to for everything there that's why I'm so excited about what you did with the EVM it just with it gives you it gives you everything you're used to as the mm -hmm. developer the good and the bad because the bad uh, the, the, the best Ethereum developers already know how to handle like the security problems. Yeah, and and just to just to outline how how identical it is. I mean, we created um, we easily created and we actually included as part of the solution uh, a mock RPC, um, a server which um, which mocks an Ethereum RPC server um, by just using. Uh, the EOSIO.EVM contract. So, uh, with this RPC server, you can use it as a as a server URL for um, any Ethereum service. I mean, we published a video showing um, both MetaMask and Remix, uh, which you create create contracts in, um, working perfectly with EOSIO.EVM. You just put in your mock RPC URL. And then it's in the back end, it's, it's using that uh, mock RPC and it's using the EOSIO.EVM contract on EOS or EOSIO um, instead of using any Ethereum nodes. Um, and it works, um, it works natively like that. And um, I, I don't think we've mentioned this before, but you're, you're, able, to run, um, you're able to run at nearly 1,000 transactions per second uh, uh, using EOSIO.EVM with uh, Ethereum code, and um, 
as as you can already imagine, this is orders of magnitude faster than uh, Ethereum. And um, have you ported the crypto kitties yet? Pardon? Have you ported the crypto kitties yet? No, I, ha I have. We have not ported the crypto kitties. I think they uh, ported themselves, didn't they? Launch their own blockchain or something? They they did. They, uh, Dapper Labs. Um, which is the team behind CryptoKitties, launched their own blockchain, Flow, I believe. Um, what contracts did you personally use to test it, like when you, when you worked on it? Um, so, I mean, I, start, I started off with ERC-20, and then uh, we did tests on ERC-721s. Um, those were the two main contracts, um, the ERC-20 and the 721s. Um, we haven't, I mean, they were simply, um, I mean, we, we did use a lot of the contract tests, um, but uh, that, that, was one of, that was one of the, re the requirements of the competition itself was running ERC-20 and ERC-721 perfectly, and obviously the, the thousands of tests that live under the Ethereum test repository, um, which tests nearly all functions of how a transaction is supposed to work, and it also tests all the state um, um, like the before state and the after state. Let, right. Let's say, let's say I, I uh, now take take that EVM. Right. I, I take all the block, all the blocks that were ever uh, that were ever written in the real Ethereum network. Right. And I use an oracle to trust to pass them into into right. that EVM. Right. And, and I keep thinking it. Like eventually, I, I'll, I'll have a contract in, 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 in Ethereum that keeps on updating to to the in, the entire state of, of Ethereum. Right. So eventually, just by doing that, I could by relaying the blocks like with something like like uh, Liquid Oracles, I could make everything in Ethereum accessible to use. Right. Um. I mean, there, there, there's some problems there. Um, like copying blocks exactly won't won't match the eventual state of the EVM because um, because the, there's no there's no real concept of uh, Coinbase. Um, since, not, since not the exchange, everyone. Not 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 the exchange. <laughs> um, the Coinbase uh, address is the address which mines the block. Um, and in the EVM, there is no there is no block mining, right? So um, uh, Coinbase payouts are actually something that are just built into nodes. It's not built into. There's no special transaction that goes out um, initially to credit the coin uh, the Coinbase balance. Um, so yeah, you could get emulated uh, quite easily. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you you could you could definitely add it. I'm saying the as the EVM as it is right now uh, would not account for the Coinbase transactions uh, that that you would have to do to match the state perfectly with Ethereum. But other than that, everything else should match. Cool. I can tell, I can tell Tal's wheels are already spinning like halfway through this conversation. No, it's interesting that you could you could intercept things in your EOS smart contracts uh, just by emulating everything with, with the EVM, not just 
for migration purposes, just for saying I want to be able to read things from Ethereum. And the way I do it is I just play the entire Ethereum chain on that contract mm -hmm. and, and can access and listen to events that are happening there. And, uh, assuming I only relay irreversible blocks. Right. Um, there, there are also a bit, a uh, few minute changes, um, like like the block, the the block number opcode would obviously would re would return the EOS block number, um, and not not the Ethereum block number, obviously. Um, yeah, the, this is all in the technical specification that uh, Block One put out. Um, so their technical specification has all the changes that are required from the Ethereum yellow uh, yellow paper, but everything else matches the Ethereum yellow paper. It has all the precompiles too, even the zero knowledge ones working. Um, so and do you track like gas? Yes. Thing? So we we do have gas tracking, and you also have the ability to turn it off um, as was required. Um, so it, it oh, will it, it will fail the yeah sorry so so it includes gas limiting as well like quota for gas yes it does so the um in in the specification itself you you had to um, track the gas and fail the transaction if it goes over the gas limit but not charge uh, the sender um, but we do have a flag if you want to turn on charging the sender. Um, but it, 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 it by default it's turned to false uh, as as by the specification, and and you do charge gas for failed transactions as well, like up to the point of the process. yes yeah if you if you turn on that flag yes sure cool but, uh, but with, with, by yeah. default uh, the flag is turned off and no gas is charged. Cool, interesting. Um, very cool. I, I have a very very technical question about 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 the, the nonce actually. Um, like I know that in Ethereum, if, if let's say you skip a nonce, let's say you there are hundreds of uh, uh, you skip the nonce by a hundred, and then and it's in the transaction pool of of all the miners. You can't you can't skip not like nonce of what like an account nonce, right? Yeah, you, you can't you can't you can't skip you can't skip the nonce. Um, the it's not the nonce is not is not it's not user specified. Um, so, so technically, in the transaction, you, you you could, as far as I know, you could you could skip a nonce, and it won't it wouldn't get written into the chain. But it's still existing in the transaction pool. Up, to, like let's say I, I skip ten transactions in the nonce. Okay. Then I, I then I start shooting the the first, the second, the third. Like fill the gaps. Eventually, the, the transaction that I send the, the old one with ten transactions, it gets removed from the transaction pool. But but you know, it's kind of out maybe out of scope because it's in the minor transaction pool and not. Not on chain. I, I haven't I haven't seen that. Um, I think the the way you would do that is by putting a crazy low gas on that uh, high nonce, 
and then having the other transactions come in with beforehand with higher gas. But if if you have normal gas and you put in a nonce that's ten nonces ahead, um, the node will just fail it and remove it from the transaction. Oh no, no, it gets stuck. I I know I know that's for sure from from Banco. Um, it gets stuck in the in the transaction pool. If the gas fee is too low, you can later resubmit the transaction and only increase the gas. It's an interesting topic because it's, oh, it's one of the problems that, that the nonce mechanism is very problematic for, for DAP developers in Ethereum, actually. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a very problematic thing to track, to, to understand like what's the right nonce to submit your, your next uh, transaction. Uh, because you sign with the nonce, so you need to know the nonce of the user. Right. One of the biggest advantages for Ethereum is their development community is just insanely mature and large. Mm -hmm. What would need to happen for EOS IO to catch up? Yeah, so I think, I think Ethereum has seen this Cambrian explosion, I would say, in the last two years mainly. Um, I've... I've you, you can include 2017 too, but a lot of it was actually just people fundraising money to do development in the, net, in the years after. But um, the, the 2017 to 2020 has been great for Ethereum. Um, but the, the real thing that I think led um, to this huge growth in Ethereum as well was really how much their developer tools have matured. Um, all, a lot of the ways of learning how to code in Ethereum, um, a lot of the security bugs, a lot of the coding practices, they're all well-documented now, public. There's some really good tools for development. Um, things like Ganache and Truffle have come a long way. The Open Zeppelin repositories with sample contracts is, is just phenomenal right now. I mean, when I was writing up an ERC-20 or an ERC-721 contract for this um, challenge for testing, I think I wrote the ERC-20 contract in like five lines because you just <laughs> import from Open Zeppelin and then you create the token. Um, things like that have really made it much easier to start off on Ethereum. I think that really helps promote the developer ecosystem there. Um, as for EOS, I think... Um, I think the protocol is still quite uh, evolving quite fast. One of the issues that we saw in the first year was um, the core protocol was moving so damn fast that uh, documenting it and documenting all the changes um, was hard. Uh, we would release like a tutorial or something or anyone would release a, a developer tutorial and within a month or two, there were, there were so many new changes and so many new features um, that uh, that tutorial was not as relevant. Um, with Ethereum, the, the coding has, to, for the most part, really solidified. They have one major change, if even every year, um, with a hard fork um, that developers have to account for. Um, with, with EOS, I think we're now starting to see the advent of these um, developer tools. And I think as these developer, these developer tools mature more and they're uh, more robust, we will see an increase in um, development on EOS as well. And EOS development also all 
depends on the the user experience. I mean, the user experience is great in the sense that a lot of times there's no transaction fees. Um, it's fast. It's instant. Uh, but there are obviously limitations as well with with resource management, and that is, I think, over the last six months to six to twelve months, it has really been abstracted away, um, and it's in being increasingly abstracted away more and more. I think with great wallets like Anchor now, um, Anchor by the Gray Mass team. Um, they're they're covering CPU for all users. Blocks.io, um, if you use it, um, we cover. Uh, if you use it with Scatter or your own ledger directly with Blocks, we cover 25 transactions every single day for every user. Um, and there's not many users I know who make more than 25 transactions per day. So. It's really, um, I think the user experience is coming along as well. Uh, we've moved a long way from the point where people thought they couldn't use the network for that month um, last year. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's getting better every day. There's still a lot of work to do, but I'm excited for how it's going to grow. I think another interesting thing uh, not, that's that's now possible is to take the take what Said did and uh, take the the logic uh, out of Ethereum and and keep the liquidity on Ethereum and just have all the the smart contract logic. Still sit on on something that that has cheap resources like like Ethereum, something that can transact thousands of transactions, including oracles and and all the capabilities that that we're familiar with, and just in just uh, react to to things that are happening in Ethereum on 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 that level and keep the tokens and, and keep the liquidity and keep the Everything on the exchanges and, and have users use the, their existing tools and just offload the execution uh, to Ethereum. I think that's that's an uh, exciting opportunity that's now possible. Say, so did Block One give an indication of what they plan to do with your solution? Um, no, I have not heard about anything. Besides, besides the challenge and the reward, what got you excited and? Why you wanted to see it happening? I know that that you're probably like me. You, you don't write a line of code without like being kind of excited about it and, and what what it enables. So what yeah. what got you excited about it? I think I think personally the um, the the biggest the biggest thing for me personally was was the fact that it's um, it. it it's quite it's quite a it's quite a learning opportunity for um, for virtual machines I think um, and th th that's obviously a personal thing but I think I understand after the challenge both EOS more but Ethereum very well from the uh, the inner workings of Ethereum the way it works um, and I had previous experience in coding and solidity obviously but um, the the inner workings are very different. And I think I think it's really exciting as a, for me personally as a as an onboarding tool 
I think, I, I think um, for any developer, any company, there's a lot. There's lots of companies that have Ethereum code written, uh, etc. It's but they they don't want to use Ethereum or they uh, can't uh, because of the speed limitation or the cost limitation. I mean. Right now, some simple actions end up taking like a dollar for every transaction on Ethereum right now because of how crazy the, the gas fees are. Um, so as an onboarding tool, I already talked about the liquidity. Um, you can create cross-chain liquidity platforms much, much easier if you're running the exact same code on all the different chains and simply acting as a bridge. Um, I, think, I think there's... I'm not. I'm not clear right now on how it might be used for some sort of proof-based IBC between EOS and uh, Ethereum, but it is. It is possible because you can run the transactions. Um, so um, you could add proof verification on top of it. Aside. Um, you mean proof? Not not proof for the proof of work part. No, a more of a validating, um, validating blocks essentially from the Ethereum chain. Uh, validating the. Could theoretically, you, you could theoretically uh, validate the longest chain uh, proof of work chain as well inside the contract, but that uh, that would take. Two gigabytes of memory, I think, to hold like the tag, right? To hold the the graph, the random graph. Yeah, um, like the actual um, the actual resource consumption on that would be quite high. Right, right. But would you know with the OSVM too? Who knows? Yeah. Quite quite efficient. Yeah, and I think. Um, I'm also quite. I'm also quite excited for um, if we see more um, more improvements and especially um, big big number calculations on EOSVM two in the future. It would make doing zero knowledge proofs easier. Um, I mean, even right now. So one one of the hard one of the hardest precompiles on Ethereum is the. Um, is the addition and multiplication on the uh, BN curves, the the curves that are that they use for the zero knowledge proofs, um, and those are the ones that take the most time, even on EOS, to run for transactions. Um, but if we were able to do some sort of like five x, ten x reduction in the time of running these arithmetic on um, uh, these arithmetics. You could run way more complex um, zero knowledge proof circuits, um, and you could even adopt a lot of the code that's currently open source in the Ethereum com community um, to construct these zero knowledge proofs and also run them. Um, there's already different frameworks on Ethereum that I know of that uh, you can create um, the Solidity code and it compiles down to bytecode for creating zero knowledge proof circuits. Um, so things like that can be leveraged too. Actually, you could you could also like uh, propose a protocol upgrade, just to expose the the primitives that you need for that, and then even have it 
run more efficiently. Right. I, b I believe one of the primary POs was trying to do that. Um, they tried to, pro I think they proposed um, intrinsic, but it's uh, intrinsics take a while. I mean, because they have to go through a long review process. I mean, because any new intrinsic requires a whole new upgrade to every single node in the chain, uh, essentially like a Ethereum hard fork. Oh, but there's now the protocol upgrade, uh, you know, the feature protocol upgrade process that you could you could uh, create, which which kind of makes it easier. Right, but I think for this you would if you would need a hard fork still. Uh, if you were to introduce a new intrinsic for um, for zero knowledge proof or multiplication and stuff, I think I think all the nodes would have to upgrade. Uh, I think one of the protocol upgrades was protocol, um, maybe I'm, I'm mistaken, but it was the ability to detect protocol upgrade. Right. So, so that you could kind of uh, roll out something and, and only use it when, when everyone right. uh, upgraded. Right. I actually didn't understand that completely uh, as to whether we need uh, whether it completely removes the need for hard forks, or um, there are still some app, some things, some changes that would still require hard forks. Because um, it would be great if the, the protocol upgrades can just cover situations like that, um, and then you, you don't even need things like hard forks to upgrade the chain. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's supposed to, uh, but but it probably doesn't cover all all the cases, but. I think for for new functions, for completely new functions, it, it should it should allow you to do those exact kind of things, exactly those kind of things. Uh, just ignore, especially if you have a fallback uh, function that implements it without the intrinsic, then you can just condition the the protocol exists. If it doesn't, just run your emulated version. Right. With EOSIO EVM, there's obvious like speed and scalability and throughput enhancements for um, an Ethereum project that wants to port their contract to EOSIO. Uh, throughout yeah. this process, uh, you mentioned how you learned you got a deep you got a deeper understanding of Ethereum from from it. Mm -hmm. Is there anything from EOSIO EVM that actually could be an improvement to EOSIO rather than the other way around? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, um, I mean, some of the biggest things would obviously be, would first of all be error catching. Um, it would be really nice if you could catch errors. If you could catch errors in the actions you call, if you could get, I think they're working on something like this actually, of returning values from actions you call. Um, that would be really great. Um, Debugging. I mean, one of the great things of developing in Ethereum is the debugging. You can debug at every single execution uh, in the virtual machine, um, and uh, I believe this is in work as well for EOS, um, where you could debug every line. So if your contract fails while you're running it in the debugger, you would know exactly which line of code uh, failed, and you could perhaps even go back. Uh, or forward in the debugger, um, which would be great. Um, other other than that, um, 
other than that, I don't I don't think there's there's much else. I mean, they're both they're both pretty like uh, complete platforms. All right, so I'll rephrase this question for you, Tao. If you could re-architect EOSIO from scratch today and make a minor, major change, whatever you want, what, what would you change about EOSIO if you could rebuild it today? I would make it a bit more like, uh, even, even more like an operating system in the sense that uh, I would have system contracts serve as, as kind of a common library and the kernel itself is something that could be upgradable. I, w- I would probably decouple um, system contracts and and the very basic uh, things that, that the node exposes to the contract. Kind of like there is a libc in 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 Linux, and there is the kernel, which do different things, and every contract can enter. Uh, in Linux, every process can be in kernel mode or in user mode. So I would imply, the, I would apply the same kind of uh, design pattern um, to to EOS as well. Right now, you're either in a system contract context or your own context, and it doesn't give you that much flexibility to to upgrade the the, the building blocks. It's either uh, like a protocol fork or system upgrade that would allow you like very good reusability without changing the, the node itself. You could upgrade the system contract uh, using a multisig and then change something in the common layer that all the dApps use without having all the DPs to upgrade. Get what I'm saying? I'll, I'll, I'll defer that question back to Saeed. If you have a comment on that, and then I guess the same question for you. I think from more of an application point, I think there's a lot of improvements I could that I would make if uh, things were changed. Mainly, mainly with the resource model. I think, I think, um, well, one one of the hardest part, and I. I know a little bit about why the design choice was made. Is the um, is the unpredictability in billing of CPU, right? Like on on Ethereum, for example, um, the same transaction will always take the same amount of time. Um, time being guess, um, but on EOS, depending on how fast the validator's machine is or how they bill it takes different amounts of time. So that makes it hard to estimate resources ahead of time. Um, still, you, uh, this is not implemented yet, but it could be, um, actually, I ran some tests myself where if you take out the, if you take out some parts of the code, you can estimate ahead of time how much, um, you can essentially mock a transaction. So you put in the transaction, it doesn't apply, but you, you know how much CPU net, and these two are approximate, but you would know exactly how much RAM it would take for that if that transaction was applied. So wallets can use things like that to ahead of time estimate how much resources the user needs, and then just show warnings or just apply it directly. You know, I think this is the one of the things that uh, wallets and EOS have really dropped the ball on. Um, Ethereum, they just adapted to the fact that you have to pay costs. Um, and on EOS, when it got congested, 
it was very easy still to just rent for like one cent or even cheaper from Rex. But I think wallets didn't uh, evolve fast enough um, to simply integrate that process in, in. And I think that degraded user experience um, to a good degree um, where wallet, wallet developers uh, simply, as they were unfamiliar with it, um, uh, dropped the ball. And they could have quickly adopted a transaction fee model or even cheaply just pay fees. I mean, we, I think last month um, on Blocks.io, we paid maybe two EOS for the whole month in, in, in covering uh, transaction fees. And we've covered thousands of users over the last uh, month just with two EOS. I, so I don't, I don't really see why some of these wallets, which might even be charging, they show ads, they, they promote other dApps, which we don't do on Block. We, don't, we have virtually zero advertisements there. Um, I think most of these wallets can do that. And Graymass and their Anchor wallet does it. I know other wallets, Wombat does it. Um, so I think, as I, I would say to users, if, if your wallet is not covering transactions or making it easy for you, move away, use, use a better wallet. I think, I think if you're still using Scatter, you should be using Anchor. Um, I think development on Scatter is not active uh, anymore. Um, Anchor is a great wallet. Yeah, I think that's all I have to say. I, I think you're right. So if I interpreted your answer correctly, if, if a wallet had this functionality like during the IDOS stuff, let's say I'm sending one EOS to you right? and I would get an error saying you don't have enough CPU, this transaction failed. If yeah. I don't really know what I'm doing, I'm just like, all right, what do I do next? Whereas yes. if the wallet yeah. had better UX UI, I'd be like, all right, we can't send this one EOS the default way, but if you're willing to pay 0. 0.0001 EOS, we'll send it through for you. Right. Will you accept this fee? Yes. Right. Or even if in, in Ethereum, they don't even ask you a prompt. It's just like if you don't have enough, uh, if you don't have enough CPU on EOS, simply just just show right there as one of the items to show transaction fee zero point zero zero one cent. That's your mm -hmm. transaction fee for this transaction. Um, very easy. It's much easier. I think as, as a wallet, it is your responsibility to be making it as easy as possible for your user. Uh, instead of the, <laughs> it's funny because I saw many wallet developers just be like, oh, this, the, the, the chain doesn't work. I mean, that's why your transaction is failing, right? The, the, the chain works. There's no, there's no possible way for a chain to be number one in blocktivity and in, uh, in chain activity and for a developer to say it doesn't work. Um, how were how all the IDOS miners putting in transactions? They were, they were clearly using the mechanism of Rex and paying, they were willing to pay money to put their transaction into blocks the same way gas fees work. Um, so I think that that was, that was one of the big shifts in EOS history where um, the concept of transaction fees in a way was reintroduced. Um, and I think the hybrid model is good, right? Like if you have lots of EOS, you, it will most likely cover cover free CPU for you. You don't need to get more transactions. You don't need to pay a gas fee in a way. Um, if you don't have a lot of C, if you don't have a lot of EOS, then yes, you're going to have to pay EOS 
as a transaction fee. And that transaction fee is still an order of magnitude cheaper than the next biggest smart contract chain, which is Ethereum. Um, so I think it is the responsibility of wallets. And I, I'm glad to see that other wallet developers, aside from Blocks.io, have, have stepped up. Um, and it's more important that a core wallets do this, right, than something like Blocks.io, since we're a web wallet. But it's more important that core uh, wallets like Anchor and Wombat and some of the other, uh, perhaps Token Pocket, have done it, because um, that is what users use for different applications as well, aside from uh, Blocks.io. I, I, I agree with you. And, and to add to that, I think one of the problems that, uh, that this kind of resource model introduced is the fact that each block producer can can fit different different uh, capacity in, in in its round. It made it uh, very volatile the the CPU consumption. So you could dispatch a, a, a transaction to the network thinking it got it passed, thinking it got through, but it actually didn't because of that verification process that went through. But it didn't really propagate to the to the BP node. If, if we would take the, the same uh, resource model, but instead of measuring CPU with time, but with opcodes, it would make it much more deterministic and much more easier to deal with, even as, as, a, as an adaptive developer. Mm-hmm. Because right now, the fact that, that, that it's volatile and undeterministic is, mm-hmm. is a problem. Not just the fact that you have three uh, variables to control. Right. It's just such a different, it's a different paradigm, right? Like opcodes are great for determine, determinism, but it's really, it's really limiting. I mean, like you can't, you can't run, like well, one of the biggest reasons that you can run Ethereum on EOS, but you can't run EOS on Ethereum is the fact that it's opcode based. Uh, it's, um, it's not, it's not complete like C++ that just, works um, it's it's this compilation down into um, into this, this much simpler language um, it and I think um, I mean may, may, maybe I'm, I'm just thinking I'm thinking on the spot right now maybe it's possible that you could compile entire um, C++ code into into opcodes, um, but I think it would be very hard to do that for any arbitrary code. I think you would have to have a very small subset of C++ that is uh, uh, compiled down in the same way that you have Solidity, which is a new language itself that they need to compile down uh, into opcodes. But let's, let's say we would go over all the, all the assembly commands in WASM. Right. And give each of them <clears throat> like a, a cost. And just do that. Start start with even arbitrary costs for every assembly and, and let the block producers tweak that. It will it won't really limit anything. And that would that would be interesting, yeah. Um, if you if you actually <laughs> that's actually a really interesting idea. If you if you assign a cost to every single um, assembly operation. Um, 
and then did gas metering on assembly code like that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's definitely very exciting. And I, you, really, you could start arbitrary with arbitrary numbers and, and just tweak it over time. Right, right. And I, I got lost a little bit ago, but uh, hopefully <laughs> a lot of people understand all this. One, one thing, I guess, for you guys mentioned opcode. Op uh, mm -hmm. what, what exactly is opcode? Opcode stands for like an operation code. Um, okay. They're, they're just essentially like instructions of, uh, um, of the like, virtual processor. Yes. So in, in Ethereum, essentially Solidity is the language you write in, but it gets compiled down to opcodes. So opcodes would be things like, uh, like copy data, like, co like copying data from one memory address to another, things like that. Okay. It's, very, it's very, very low level. I, I think we nerded out for a while here. I um, guess we could finish this off with, uh, I guess, talking about some of the stuff uh, you're, you're both working on. Um, Saeed, uh, I, I know you got your hands on a lot of projects, a lot of different blockchains. Is there anything that you're working on uh, outside of Blocks.io and outside of the EOSIO EVM that you want to kind of plug or talk about? Um. Yeah, so I mean, we are, we are working on. I mean, we're 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 always constantly still working on uh, Blocks.io. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, one of the latest additions um, we've been working a bit on. I, we've been working actually a lot on NFTs uh, in the space. Um, we've um, we've also launched an, an an NFT marketplace on Wax. Um, so we're quite, quite excited about the NFT, um, growing in the ESIO ecosystem. I think NFTs have a lot of use cases, um, primarily in game. I'm, I'm quite, I'm more interested in the gaming aspects of it as a big gamer myself. Mm -hmm. Which is what you said got you into, uh, to begin with, or the development of it at least. Yes. It, it actually got me into Bitcoin too. I mean, interestingly enough, the first Bitcoin I ever owned was like $10 of Bitcoin that someone tipped to me after we played a, a game um, back in 2014. Um, so I think, I think gaming has been great. And it's one of those things that really makes sense, right? Because virtual currency is everywhere in gaming. Um, so it's, it's a very small jump to go from virtual currencies to blockchain um, from a mindset perspective. I also think uh, NFTs, I'm also really excited about NFTs because it's one of the first uh, real use case that you can, that anyone can understand why it's important for it to be immortal or at least uh, you know, there after, regardless of the of the entity who created it. Like in terms of, if you have a col like a collection of something, you 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 want it to last for a lifetime. If you collected cards or stamps, you you want it to to not be dependent on on, on really on anyone to, to you know for it to, to survive. Otherwise, it, it, it don't really know what's the, the value. So, so NFTs is a really good example of why you need something to stay somewhere forever. 
most people understand collectibles in general. You understand the kid that collected baseball cards when he's little, he still wants to have those baseball cards when he's old and potentially be able to liquidate them if he needs to. Okay. Um, and same thing goes to rights management in music. Like the DRM and, and uh, ownership of, of digital, uh, you know, uh, rights man, right management on, on media. Uh, we used to collect, you know, uh, records or, or CDs. But these days you, you, you want to still collect music and have your collection, but not really be dependent on something like iTunes forever. Right. Yeah. Who knows what will happen 30 years from now? Yeah, I'm excited for the NFT licenses, something kind of like what Ultra is doing, where you can kind of like transfer a gaming license and there could even be like a fee from the resales that go back to the original publisher. Um, that's something I've seen on Wax with their NFT marketplaces. Like tops, I don't know the exact percentage, they, you might know, they get like 8% of every resale in perpetuity that happens on their, on any marketplace. That that's huge for, uh, collectible creators, game developers to have that, uh, long tail of a revenue stream that just wasn't possible before. So it'll be cool to see those model, those business models kind of get upended and like use the term I, I that's also, overused, disrupted. I, I also want to start seeing, um, multi multi game economies. NFTs that have value and usage in more than one game. I think that, that that's something that's very interesting. A new kind of modding for, for games. That's something yeah. ever since the, the the launch of the mainnet, I've been waiting for someone to to kind of utilize that that new possibility. Yeah. I think especially with uh, because you can put you can you could essentially put, I mean maybe not all of it on chain, but like links to um, like 3D models right inside the NFT. Um, so it'd be really cool if you could use in, let's say two different open source, like uh, open world games, um, you could use your 3D models there, which are linked uh, right to the NFT. Um, mm -hmm. And then you, you're essentially, your character becomes your an, an NFT, right? Um, which is quite interesting. You, you can even say that there's a, there's, there are NFTs that you model yourself or you give, you give your, each game its own booster for the NFT, like a sword can mean something in one game and can mean something else in terms right. of abilities in, in another game. Um, and it's a kind of a marketing tool to target the people who have the NFTs, like the whales who bought the most expensive NFTs as a game developer, I can now say I target those, I support those NFTs in my game, and that's a way to bring new new audience. Right. So that's that's also exciting. I want to see. Um, I, I told some other people about this, but uh, with the NFT marketplaces blowing up on Wax, and I know that they have the Tops relationship, which is eventually going to lead to like professional sports leagues. Um, on all of the uh, like Madden video games and NHL and MLB games, they have this uh, in-game, I guess, game within a game called Ultimate Team, where you collect cards for your favorite players and they allow you to essentially combine cards to make them into a better, more rare card, which 
since you're burning cards to create that card, you're making it even more scarce on, on the next tier down. So I think once we start seeing stuff like that, it's just uh, that that's what has me excited. And uh, it's just because it's something familiar with uh, to me, but I want to mm -hmm. see some of that stuff. Yeah, um, we actually have something. We actually have something called a universal crafting contract that, that does kind of that that uh, net built, which we haven't released yet. Uh, that's that's like a, a simple assets and degoods, but you can have like recipes, and then that's exactly what I was talking company. about. That's yeah. exactly it. I think I, I think I saw you mention that before. So I guess this all started with me asking Saeed what he's working on that people might not know about. So I guess we could wrap this up. I, I, I might know the answer, but maybe I don't. Uh, Tao, what are you working at uh, with Liquid Apps or outside of Liquid Apps that people might not know about that uh, you want to share before we close out here? I'm working on improving the existing services, having more more capabilities and more use cases for for the things we, we released, uh, especially on the computation side, uh, improving the vCPU to, um, to get it to a place where you can uh, run code that's, that's not the conventional code, not, not blockchain code, and, and have, have it uh, interact with, with contracts. I think that, that will also uh, address a gap that, uh, that we we constantly hear about not not from not from uh, blockchain developers but from people who wanna um, enter the industry uh, everybody everybody wanna reuse existing existing things and and uh, we're quite used to reusing ninety percent you know of of our system from open source code and only writing. Only focusing on, on the on the on the business logic of our app as much as we can, um, so we're trying to to bring that uh, more and more. I think that that's what what we've been working on since I think the beginning. Everyone who made it this far, thank you so much for watching. If you didn't already do it, leave us a comment of what you thought about this episode. I know it got a lot more technical than we typically do, but I hope there's a lot of value to be gained. I know if, uh, for the developers out there, they probably really, really enjoyed this. Uh, but we close out these shows in a very specific way. This is everything EOS. Go EOS! Go EOS! <laughs>